Welcome to the Coffee with COVID-19 podcast. My name is Patrick Rolf, and this is an ongoing media project where we use conversations with some of the leading entrepreneurs and thinkers within the coffee industry to try to understand a sustainable way to living together with our new reality, COVID-19. Welcome everyone. We're back with another episode of Coffee with COVID-19, a podcast series by April Media where we're trying to understand what's actually going on in the industry. As we all know, the last months have been devastating for some, uh, new opportunities for others. We're going through uncertain times and we want to sit down with coffee professionals from all spectrum of the value chain to get a better understanding for what's actually happening. And with us in this episode, we have Jean from Belgium, a former founder of 3-2-Cup Green Coffee Importers, um, currently a founder and CEO of Top of the Crop, also located in Antwerp in Belgium. Um, and we're really interested to kind of take a deep dive into the green coffee world here to try to kind of embark and see what is happening, what's going on. Um, but first, how are you, Jean? Is it a good day today? Well, it's a good day today. It's a... Uh another let's say belgian COVID 19 day where they just announced that brussels bars and and uh, dancing should close from today onwards but the restaurants can remain open so in a way it's belgium at the fullest again it's a bit of chaos but i think everybody has a bit the same feeling these days i think we all have right and it's the same here in copenhagen as well where i think that uh, one of the clear challenges the last months have been just the uncertainty and this seemingly um, sometimes reckless and, and uh, interesting decisions from governments to, to close certain parts of society and, and not others. Um, but before we go into that and also, of course, the effect it has on, on kind of daily operations in green coffee, um, we want to start with the beginning. Like, where were you? Um, how did you first get to know about COVID-19 and what was your initial reactions uh, back when it was first announced? Uh, I kind of found out quite early because uh, I, I'm talking with a lot of people worldwide and there were some roasters pointing out that let's say they see their sales fall down in in China and in Asia. Um, and by coincidence, I had uh, taken a subscription onto the Financial Times um, online. And so I have the habit of reading through that early in the morning. And, and so they started following that also quite, quite early on. And... Um, so I think by end of January, I, I kind of figured out the severity of this. Um, and I think I even was, was uh, hoping that it would not cross into Europe, but I wasn't naive about it, let's call it like that. Uh, I knew that if this would, would fly around, it would go fast and it could be big. Um, but of course, this is the first time we, we, we lived through this. Uh, so you can't assess what is the impact. Um, and so for me, what, what did I do? Um, I've been in green coffee trading for the last 20 years. And so whenever a major macro 
uh, event happens, I basically go into a, some sort of a war room uh, feeling. So I kind of gear up with with uh, uh, big tables and and uh, wallpaper to write on and all that, and I start trying to focus. Okay, well, first I assess um, what is the risk that I have. Okay, because I'm in coffee. Uh, what is going to be the what's going to happen on the coffee market? What's going to happen on the the foreign exchange? So what is the real going to do versus the dollar? What's the dollar is going to do versus the euro? <clears throat> so I need to map that out. I look at my my personal situation as a business. I look at the macroeconomical things that can happen, and then I try to figure out: okay, what is important? What risk do I need to lose? Um, where are the opportunities? That's basically how how I work through days. Then, so I start early in the morning, read about things, go to the office, go to a room, start writing things down, start talking to different people from different industries but i noticed that i was very early on uh, on this on this pandemic i was even surprised um, when the government wasn't saying to people that they couldn't go skiing in the in the carnival holidays so that's i think uh, second half of february i was already looking like but this doesn't make any sense you have the outbreak in in italy italy is next to the alps the alps are where all the people are coming from for all, from all over europe so this is going to be a mess so you you kind of because you're in that you you see that happening and you're you're trying to be ahead of the the major issues personally uh, commercial uh, uh, economically but also macro so I was looking also with my kids. I have three kids. What do I need to do with them, uh, with my elder, my, with my parents, with, with friends and family? And I was talking with them and a lot of them didn't, didn't really realize what was coming until, of course, March 13th and when Belgium went into lockdown. Then uh, all of a sudden it, it became apparent. But one of the things, for example, that happened the day before the lockdown or when they would announce the lockdown is that I already had a plan ready. So I called uh, a teacher because I have three kids and you know they're, they're still young. So you can't just say go online and do your homework. They're, they're between three and six year old. So I immediately had a teacher booked um, who would come every morning uh, and, and who would just play games and do different things with them so that Every morning, my kids were up at 8.30. Uh, we made them uh, lunch boxes. And so the teacher would take them into uh, my office at home. And I would come to the office here. Um, and so they had between 8.30 and 1.30, they had a teacher. And that was mainly for games and drawings and all that. But at least there was a rhythm in, in the family because I was afraid that if we wouldn't have a rhythm in the family with, with these young kids, you basically create chaos. And so if you create chaos, that means that uh, you, you, don't, you can't be disciplined yourself. So that was a bit my reaction. And I already had that as a plan ready uh, because yeah, you see this coming and you say, okay, this is not going to be for two weeks. This is going to be probably until the summer holidays because I was reading up on pandemics before and then the pandemic of 1918 and, and the resemblance with that with Spanish flu. So you kind of knew like 
this is going to come, this is going to be for an extended period of time, maybe eight weeks, maybe 10 weeks, probably then it's going to have a downfall and then you'll have a new spike in, 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 uh, in autumn. And so, yeah, that's, that's how we got into this 13th of March, 12th of March, I called the teacher, the teacher has come for, he was able to come for five weeks in total. So that, that for, for us as parents created some, some room uh, because yeah, you know you're going to be locked down, locked in for, for five, six weeks. And you're only with five people on, let's say, sp small spaces. So you want to make sure that mentally you, you can stay stable. And that, that was for me the most important, discipline and stability. And that's how we went through this. And we went through it fine. There was no big issue. We had, in a way, a fantastic time because we had time for each other. We had time to cook. We had time to explore certain things. Um, so in a way, we had it figured out how to do it in the best way, to make the best out of the worst situation. And that was a bit, that's, that's been the whole mantra for my COVID time is hope for the best, prepare for the worst. I think that's a, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a, some great points there. And I think something that I personally uh, or personally resonates with me a lot as well is that, and I think we've, we've, we've seen this in the coffee world um, in particularly uh, more from a, a owner perspective where a lot of people running businesses in this industry are maybe not the most experienced or educated when it comes to doing these things, right? And there's been... Um, there's been a lot of chaos in businesses in terms of communication to staff, communication to, you know, the farmers, suppliers in general, uh, to customers as well. And I think a lot of that, as you kind of touch on as well, is rooted in the fact that they didn't have that stability on a personal level as well, right? Because it's easy to forget that it's not just the companies uh, or the different parts of the value chain that's been hit here. It's, it's a very personal thing that we all have gone through as well. Um, and it's, it's one thing to have the stress and challenges that comes with running a business uh, and having employees. It's another thing to also have to make sure your family, um, especially your kids, are, are in a good place going through this as well, right? So it's, uh, it's challenging in so many different levels. Now, an, another challenge that I know you've been through is that Top of the Crop was, was very new, or is still very new, but was very new when this happened, right? And where... What's your, how have you navigated that as basically then a green bean importer, right? Because we, you and me have talked frequently during this time and there's been major changes, major swings on the market. Um, we'll see the, uh, the Brazil harvest finishing up now as well, which is going to be another massive change in the prices coming up. Let's, let's talk um, about that a bit later. But just the initial thoughts there, like you were just basically, you know, you launched up with the crop and then you had Corona coming um how, how have you dealt with that the last months um in a good way uh, um, there was one okay so just for for people that don't know this i started top of the crop in january 2020 so like 10th of january i think the 16th the official foundation date is of top of the crop and so by end of January, the, the, for me, the virus became clear. I had focused for my business plan 
to focus mostly on second half of 2020 and the first half of 2021 as a supplier, as a sales pitch to my customers. Um, I have or I had already done good amount of contracts for delivery second half 2020, first half 2021. Then Corona came. And so for certain amount of these customers, I called them, uh, I think in March, beginning of March, um, second, even after the lockdown, I called them and said, look, what's your plan? You want to postpone? You want to roll it into new crop? Well, how, how do you see this? And, and it's the nicest example that I have. There's one customer who bought from me some Nicaragua, uh, I think three, three trucks, uh, like an October, November, December delivery. And so I called them, I say, you want to postpone, you want to push it into new crop, you want me, you want me to sell them to, to the spot market, what, what do you want to, ah, oh, no, no, let's hold on, uh, we don't know how this is going, we're going at full blast, blah, blah, blah. I said, but let's say, as far as I know, your majority of your sales are in out of home and out of home is, has stopped. I said, yeah, but what we're doing now is we're piling up, we're stocking up, and then we're going to close the factory and then we see when it reopens and we start selling. And I react, I say, look, but I don't believe that when we reopen, we're going back to 100% of the volume. And the question is, when will we reopen? Because at that point, we didn't even know. Yeah, but let's hold on. Okay, I have a contract, so I have to, I have to honor that contract. <clears throat> so a month and a half later, we talk again and say, yeah, it's very problematic very problematic say okay what do you want to do he says well postpone it to next year um and i say uh, next year february or march don't forget let's say the first delivery of that is october 20 so i'm asking him february march 21 he says no september 21 so you get you get this reply you're like okay i'll do it because we're we're in business but that's very, that's a year, a postponement of a year. So you're expecting a year of your sales to drop. He says, yeah, but I don't think so, but we don't know. We can't, we can't project it. So this customer called me back in August and said, look, don't put them on September, put them on, on March, 2021. He says, we're seeing more and more how this is gonna pan out. But just to say how difficult it is to plan this. And in green coffee, the problem is that it's not just switch on, switch off. It's not just the production. We push the button and tomorrow we have the coffee. No. So you have to really plan this and you be, need to be ahead. And that's, that's been basically the impact on my business. So I started February, January, February with, with these long-term contracts. Corona happened. It created a new opportunity for me because suddenly there's a, a lot of retail roasters so people that that focus on the supermarket that needed coffee because all the supermarkets saw the stockpiling of the consumer because remember the lines for let's say toilet paper and coffee uh, everybody was stockpiling on coffee toilet paper uh, what was it pasta all these things so the supermarkets were in the market to buy as much coffee as they could because they thought yeah we need to have it in our warehouses because we don't trust the supply chain either because you couldn't know if the, let's say the, the ports in Brazil could close down or the Colombian ports could close down. So they basically bought everything they could spot. But in order to do that in an environment that is locked down, you need to have your network, 
you need to be close to the port and you need to have the ability to cup. So the only thing what I did at that point was early in the morning, I, I stepped into my car, I drove to the warehouses in the port, I asked for the sample, or let's say I went to pick up the samples, I drove to my office, I cupped the coffee, and by 10 o'clock I said to my customers, this coffee is your profile, this coffee is not your profile, this coffee is your profile, what do you want? And they basically bought a couple of trucks through that. And so let's say in March, April, and May, I did about 10, 12 uh, trucks, truckloads extra of coffee that I didn't have scheduled in my plan because I wasn't in January or in December, I wasn't thinking about this is going to happen. And in April, May, June, I'm going to need spot coffees. So it created an opportunity because I saw supermarkets in demand of coffee and uh, the, the, the speed at which these guys needed to buy was, was about know-how. So if you know how they buy and you know what they need, you can go very fast. So I was about five days faster than all my competitors because they were waiting for the sample to arrive at their office. The, let's say the delivery services were operating at full speed, but there was a delay on everything. And then they had to cup it or resend it to the office of the roaster and then so they took about five days extra while I was much faster and I was much more direct. I said, this is a coffee for you. And the first time they say, okay, send me the sample. I, I even crossed borders just to bring samples to roasters. But within six, seven hours, I'm, I'm everywhere in Europe from, from Antwerp. So uh, let's say it was about speed, know-how and, and yeah, the agility to change your model. And so that's how I took a, a little bit of advantage. I was limited because I, I have a limited cash flow. I have, I'm, a, I'm still a startup in a way. So you have to be vigilant with your with your cash as well. How different is it? Like if we if we look back to um, your your history, starting three two cup, which um, another importer then in, in in Belgium, right? Which is you started that in a very very different environment. And if we kind of compare the markets today. What, what would you say are the, like, what are the, um, the biggest changes? What are the, the main challenges you see today from a green coffee importing perspective um, versus, for example, back then, right? Um, first of all, you had for me at the end of 2019 already an overextended uh, market, let's call it like that. Um, we already felt that the market, let's call it the specialty coffee market, but uh, I don't want, let's say for me, April is, is a specialty, but there's a lot of people that proclaim specialty and that are not. Um, so I found in, in, in a lot of things, not just coffee, I saw that there was, uh, uh, you already had limits. Um, and I was looking at it and I said, this, is, this can't continue because it's not anymore about the core values. Um, so when starting top of the crop, I always said it's full container loads, high quality. I don't call it specialty, just high quality, high commercial grade. Um, then COVID came. So you had the startup of this, which was a clear direction. Let's say I was looking at maybe 15 con uh, customers. Um, then I did that compared to Tree to Cup where Tree to Cup I started with the idea we have a market that it still needs to mature, um, the specialty coffee market in Europe. Uh, there's 
at that point, I said, there's about a thousand potential customers in Europe. Um, so what do I need? I need good sourcing. I need a strong uh, uh, spot position. So what I mean is coffee close to the roaster. And I need a, a performant logistics uh, department because you need to be able to deliver uh, three bags of X and seven bags of Y. Um, and so in comparison, it's a very different approach. Uh, you also have to, let's say, educate and, and come together with your customers. While the model that I have now is basically I know the customers and the customers knows me. And so they rely on myself to have a wider vision on the coffee market. Um, the number of deals are much smaller and basically they also have a lot more know-how on the supply chains and the logistics around it. So in a way it's a different setup uh, compared to, to eight years ago with we, we to cup um, but it's as exciting. And then COVID-19 came in and that basically threw everything out the door. And it's now more and more my belief that since COVID-19 came, a lot of businesses are going back to the core of their business. And in specialty, that means really looking at quality instead of looking at, at the stories and the blah, blah around coffee, uh, which for me at the end of 2019 was more the, the, the feeling that I had. Yeah, and I think I've seen something similar as well, right? Like we were at a, at a point in the, at least in the specialty coffee industry where it was um, more more talk than product, so to speak, right? So we, everyone were very familiar with the pitches that comes with specialty coffee, transparency, special quality and so on and so on, but um, um, very few kind of living up to it. Um, one of the questions we've been discussing a lot on this podcast here is, basically um, where this where the green coffee market will go from here uh, and we see a few kind of different directions going now as you say like certain markets have been doing very well even better than before supermarket coffee for example uh, other roasters more coffee shop based are obviously going to be struggling some people again believe the market is going to go back to wherever it was and everything will be all good as in 2020 we just forget about it and then 2021 will be fine and then we move forward right but i'm, I'm curious and trying to understand how because i think in the specialty coffee world this uh, being such a small community it's hard for a lot of us to get a really big proper perspective on where the market actually is and we all to some degree understand that the, the commercial market or the, the the bigger market is basically dictating specialty to some degree right they're still very connected um, and where where do you think we are? Like, where, where are what is the state of coffee market at the moment? Uh, like, are we in a healthy position, uh, or are we in an unhealthy position? And what can we expect coming up in twenty twenty one? I won't tell you all my secrets, of course, but uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, the current situation in coffee is bad, um, in the sense that I think because of COVID nineteen. Uh, we lost about 10 to 15 million bags of coffee. So imagine that the total quantity of coffee produced in the world is around 165 million bags, um, or that's the consumption. So there's more produced than that. It's my belief that we probably lost 10 to 15 million bags of usage that was 
projected to be used in 2020. <clears throat> and I will explain that uh, later how that comes. But um, so we lost that uh, not because coffee is too expensive. We lost that because there's no ability to overconsume. So in a way, it's a good signal because we're not overconsuming. Uh, on the other side, let's say the whole system as, as an industry has an overcapacity because of that. And the problem with COVID-19, of course, is that in 2021, let's hope, for sure in 2022, the world will be back to some sort of, of pre-COVID feeling. Let's say we'll all be able to hug each other and just walk around freely. But the question is, of course, what, what is going to be the economical and political impact of this COVID-19? Because that's going to that's gonna make everything stand or fall in the end. Um, but so you have an optimized consumption today. Um, but that's not good for coffee because we have an overproduction because of that. And because we have an overproduction, we have very cheap prices for the mainstream coffees, okay? Um, it's not good for the industry because let's say uh, people are buying coffee in, in supermarkets. They're, uh, let's say it's becoming part of their buying routines in the supermarket. <clears throat> so they're going for convenience and that leads to, let's say more usage of capsules or single dose coffees. On the other hand, I think that's where there's light for specialty coffee. Uh, the convenience market is a market that doesn't care about price. Uh, so the consumer that has these capsules uh, is willing to pay up for a good quality coffee. The question is, of course, how can you reach him while you're fighting against Nestle or against Starbucks with their capsules? Um, but once you're there and you're able to convince him of your quality, you will thrive. Okay. So coming back to my initial situation, currently it's not good in the coffee market. I am, I am very negative on prices and therefore negative on, let's say, the outcome uh, in producing countries. Um, because for producers, this is, this is a very tough market and it has been a tough market for the last three to four years. So normally we should have seen a rise in the market in March, April uh, of this year, because there was not enough Brazils, but because of March, uh, March, April COVID-19 situation, there was just enough Brazils to go into the massive crop of Brazil, which started basically in August, 2020. So for the, the farmers, the last four years, if you're, let's say a Colombian farmer or a Nicaraguan farmer or a, or a Peruvian farmer, uh, it's been very tough years. And on top of this, you get this now. So I'm, it makes me sad, it makes me cry if I think about the whole situation. But can, can we do something about it? Can we, can we help it? At this point, we're all a bit helpless because we don't have any power at the moment. We're all a bit uh, back to local situations. We all look around ourselves and see, okay, can we help somewhere else? Can we? Do we need to support, let's say, the butcher around the corner? Do we? We're all focused on our local markets. 
Um, while before COVID, we were at least we were discussing the situation in origin and trying to help people there. Today, we're not even even there yet, and that's that's sad to see that. Um, uh, and let's say for me, the outcome, uh, worst case scenario, is that we'll end up with Brazil, Vietnam, and Honduras being the massive producers, and then a couple of countries that make what I would call pepper and salt in the whole thing. And that's that's what I see. But that's the worst case scenario. I hope for the best case where I'm, I'm a bit, I'm optimistic because I think because of Corona, we have been able to reach more consumers directly. And so more consumers know about more roasters, more diversity in the roasters. That's the nutshell. There is, there is uh, it's an interesting spin-off question here and something that just kind of popped up uh, in my own mind now is that we see, uh, again, in this kind of transition to some degree from commercial to specialty coffee, we've seen a few new countries kind of coming up on the specialty coffee um, list that wasn't there originally looking at, for example, um, Uganda, looking at uh, Indonesia, which is, is gaining more and more ground. And there's a few other countries as well. Do you think this is um, to some degree a good timing for them? Do, will, do you think we'll see a wider range or changes in the origins where we, uh, where we purchase coffee in the future? It's, it's a good question, um, but I, I think initially specialty coffee has always been very curious. Um, so you will always try to find new frontiers. Um, the, the thing, let's say going back to the end of 2019, where we had the feeling that there was too much story and not enough quality, some of these coffees would actually fall into that. But of course, they're now here. Um, the, I believe every coffee country in the world, and there's 52 coffee countries in the world, and I think I forget a couple of islands with that, um, has the potential to do specialty coffee. Uh, it's just a matter of focus and dedication. Um, uh, and, and so I think we can continue to see new coffees coming. Um, but let's say for me, one of the worrying things is that I see specialty coffee that was specialty coffee five years or six years or seven years ago has now become expensive coffee. And when you cup the coffee, it has nothing to do anymore where, where they started. Okay. So the first years, let's call it Panama Geishas came out. Panama Geisha for me was the coffee that convinced me that you can have a better cupping coffee because it had mind-blowing taste. And the Panama Geishas, I haven't cupped the, the, the best of Panama, don't get me wrong, but the Panama Geishas that have been proposed to me over the last, this year, and, and let's say the last years of Treaty Cup, I every time had the same feeling. I'm, I, I'm, I'm cupping this and like, it still has a hint of Geisha, but I don't see it anymore. And then you saw the price and you said, but it doesn't make any sense. And then you would call the producer and why, why do you ask this price for this coffee? And said, people are paying that. And then you say, okay, let the people pay. I'm happy for you, but watch out because this product has nothing to do anymore with where we started off from. 
I'm happy that a farmer is making a lot of money and, 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 and it's also the, the fruits of his effort. But in the end, I find it very dangerous when, when the product is not a reflection or the price is not a reflection of the product. And, and you saw that more and more. Um, and so going back to, to the end of 2019, there's, there's just a very wide range now of coffee. And there's a lot of people that call themselves specialty coffee. So if you bombard the market with, we are specialty coffee, there's a lot of people that would tend to believe you because people want to believe you. If you, if you say I'm uh, the best runner in the world and nobody's seen you run, okay, we, we hope that you're right. We assume that you're right. Why would you otherwise claim that? And so people always give the benefit of the doubt. But when you look at the actual products from time to time, you're like, okay, yeah, it's not a bad product. Don't get me wrong. But to claim this is specialty coffee, this is, it's very hard. Um, and and that, that was for me the, the biggest issue. And I think now with, with the current situation, people are more and more aware because the difference between what you would call commercial grade coffee, which would also call, uh, could, cup, could cup 83 points um, and a specialty micro lot of 83 points is about three or four times the price. So then people are looking and saying, okay, but what is this? Why is there such a price difference? And then if you, if you put that in front of, of some roses, you know, but why don't I buy this lot of, why don't I buy 10 bags from a lot of 275 bags at uh, three euro a kilo versus uh, a lot of 10 bags at eight euros, but that isn't cupping better. And so that knowledge is coming because of Corona, because you're so focused on, on your core business um, that you really reflect on what you're actually doing. And you see that I, I get a lot of reactions from the roasters now saying, I've cupped this, I've cupped big lots, small lots, and, and we have to reassess what we're doing. And it's not always a price thing. It's really the, the, what's in the cup. Yeah, I think it's been it's it's a very correct reflection, and, and personally, I've also seen over the really over the last few years, but but especially I think going through uh, 2019 and 2020, where we there is a disconnect between quality and price when it comes to coffee. We see one of the the best examples of that, and I'm not gonna we're not gonna go into detail here, but we have the the new kind of Geminia coffee coming out of of Yemen as well, which is. Um, it's, it's evident how, um, as you say, how far away we are from the initial kind of idea of what a tasty coffee is, right? So when I started in the industry versus now, there's two completely different worlds, right? And that's both interesting and dangerous at the same time. It's interesting because we're redefining quality, so to speak, right? Uh, it's dangerous because there's a risk that that um, redefinition of it can end up in a place where we don't have quality anymore. Um, where I see a lot of the new new coffees that are coming out, as you say as well, are not living up to um, to the expectations that at least traditionally we have had in coffee, right? Which leads me to um, um, one question I want to touch on before we kind of round up, and that's: um, Is it time to to kill specialty coffee? Um, isn't it a great time to just kind of take it out, redefine it and, and come up with something more sustainable, right? Because specialty coffee, I think, 
as a term was defined um, regardless of COVID-19 in a world that looked quite different from where we are now and in a coffee industry that is quite different. We're, we got a lot better. We know a lot more today than what we did before, but um, is it an interesting time to just basically start calling it something else? Um, it's a it's a pertinent question. It's a big one, yeah. Yeah, and but we have the it's one of the few times um, or few opportunities um, over the last years. Like now we have the opportunity, right? COVID nineteen for so many people have been, as you say, it's it's redefining, right? Owners goes back to the kind of basics in their companies. They're you know back alone in the roasteries. They're getting kind of back in touch with with uh, you know the the foundation they started the company from but are probably very far away from today right um so if if any time and i know this is a conversation that's been going on for some time as well right and now we for me it's this perfect opportunity to just um step away from it well if uh, the reason why you need to have the discussion is because let's say the term specialty coffee has been misused in a lot of cases, but it's been rightfully used in a lot of cases as well. So it, just to throw it overboard, I think is, is, is not the smartest idea. Um, in all these discussions, what I always wonder is what does the consumer want? Let's say I can't imagine that the consumer is actually busy uh, 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 in classifying coffees as specialty coffee and as, as, as commercial coffee or commodity coffee or supermarket coffee, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do think the consumer uh, doesn't like to be tricked. Even though he will not pronounce that, he will just not buy you anymore. So if you would come with a coffee and you proclaim to be specialty coffee and you ask $30, $40 a kilo for it and the person drinks it and he doesn't like it, he will not buy your $30, $40 of coffee again. So when you proclaim something and you don't deliver it, it's going to be very hard to, get, to continue your sales or your growth. So if you would call it specialty coffee or gourmet coffee or fancy coffee or paradise coffee, like, like some older friend of mine uh, always referred to me in, in the early days of Tweety Cup, you with your paradise coffee. Um, I, I, I think it's what the consumer wants to hear. What, what, where does he make the distinction between something that is worth twice the price of a supermarket coffee? Um, why is he willing, willing to step out and go to your shop and buy coffee at your shop and not just in the next door supermarket? Um, and that's so important in this crisis because I think you're do all doing a fantastic effort on trying to convince your consumer that you are not uh, just any coffee. And so to, to use the term specialty coffee makes sense um, the only thing what what the industry needs and is doing, and, and that's, I think, the strongest message I could give around this discussion is understand what you're doing, 
understand the product that you're buying, from who you're buying, and from there you'll become better and better at it. And then you'll get around all the bullshit that's been presented to yourself. Um, and, and, and you'll thrive out of it because you, you will translate that into a consumer product where the consumer says, I want more of that. And, and, <clears throat> and that's the most important thing, the know-how, the effort. Um, the, one of the things, for example, that I have with, with specialty coffee roasters is that they all want something different, which is weird. Let's say something that is good, we, we're talking about a seasonal product. You're talking about a Colombian that is good for three months or four months. And then everybody's saying, yeah, but he has it or she has it. And then you're saying, but it's good guys. It's a good product. It doesn't matter in three months from now, everything is gone again. And we're talking, maybe the other guy is buying an Ethiopia and you're buying a Kenya or a Rwandan or whatever at that point is, is good. But at this point, this is the best coffee in the market. And if you have it or your neighbor has it, in a way it doesn't matter. It's a good coffee and the consumer deserves to have a good coffee because he's willing to pay for it. And April has its way of roasting coffee and another guy has his way of roasting coffee. So you're still putting an, an own signature on top of the coffee. And that's where, where you make a distinction because otherwise you, you can, I could basically roast all the coffee myself and I shouldn't be importing it and, and selling it to you. If, if the roast wouldn't matter, yeah, then let's just throw it in a massive roaster and take the best green coffee in the world and throw it in and sell it to the consumer. No, but everybody has his own identity with that coffee. And that's why coffee roasting and the coffee business is such a nice business. Because it, even though we have an own signature, we're all dependent on each other. Like we need the whole supply chain to work together to get the best coffee at the right place. And then you bring it into your roaster and you're still able to screw it up or make the best coffee in the world. And even then you can still sell it to a barista and the barista could still do weird things with it. So in a way you have the supply chain working together. You have each of the people involved being able to give it its own characteristics. But so to go back to the specialty coffee discussion, I don't think you need to throw it overboard. Um, I don't think you need a new term for it, but you need to work damn hard to convince the, the, the consumer that it makes a big difference in the end. Is that clear? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that is what it comes down to, right? We need the quality of the coffee that we're basically portraying to, to our consumers to live up to the, the pitch that we're making, right? And um, this COVID-19 process has been, like, first of all, a great platform for these discussions, but also, um, as you mentioned as well, an opportunity to just reflect on where you want to put your business in the future, right? Um, and I want us to quickly, um, it's time to wrap it up here, but I want you to, to just finish if possible. Um, what are the kind of two main lessons you're taking with you for the kind of remaining part of COVID-19? Like what is the two most important things uh, looking at the coffee industry to, to kind of bring with you into uh, the remaining part of the year? Um the two main takeaways or the two main advices here would be 
focus on your core business be good at what you're good at um and and keep control uh, over what you do let's say that I, I listened to a couple of podcasts during the lockdown and there was one guy who basically said whatever you do don't do stupid things and that made so much sense but it it sounds it sounds so simplistic but if you remember end of 2019 beginning of 2020 there were a lot of people doing stupid things there were a lot of people there was no limit let's say the world was growing uh, everything was was going fine we were flying for 96 hours to to colombia and then this happened and we all had to retract from that and we sat down and we can focus on what we are good at what we're passionate about and then we have to avoid to do stupid things and it's so right i think i think that's an absolutely beautiful way to wrap up this conversation as, as a reminder to uh to all of us whatever you do don't do stupid things which is, is is true in many ways right because a lot of the things this industry have been doing up until now has been fairly stupid to be fair right um and we're really excited to see you're trying to be different than the other so you're trying different ways and and i think that's where where weird things let's call them weird things not stupid things but weird things sure, happen sure. <laughs> um but it's good it's good fun if you have the the possibility to do this but here we are at we have to go to the base the base of what we do so to all of you stick with the basics don't do stupid stuff um thank you very much on for taking the time to sit down with us we're going to revisit this conversation later in the year as well uh, to kind of keep track and see how kobe develops and also how your business develops uh within this time uh but for now thank you and uh, have a great day thank you patrick because uh, what you're doing is amazing congratulations thank you thank you for listening this product has been brought to you by April Media, which is an unfiltered view on the coffee industry powered by our Patreon supporters. Uh, we will love it if you share these episodes, subscribe to our channels, and if you want to be a part of building this, please join our Patreon. Thank you again.